You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. And uh, some of you might have never heard a sermon from a minor prophet before, but as we've been talking about minor, uh, it's not talking about uh, the importance of the books. But rather, these are the 12 last books of the Old Testament. It's talking more about the size of the books. That's why it's minor, but the message is very important. So we've been going through uh, for about a month now looking at different ones. And today we're going to look at the book of Jonah. And I'm going to guess out of all of the minor prophets, if you have heard stories before, probably it's about Jonah. Even if you went to church as a kid, you probably heard the stories about the fish and, and you know those things. So it's probably the most familiar to many of us. Um, and I, I just think it's a fascinating story. And down the line, I would love to do a longer series just through this book of Jonah. Um, but it's unique among the minor prophets in that there's actually very little prophecy, but it's more of a story. It, it really is a narrative form. It's telling a story. Um, and today, I want to share a few convictions. And I'm going to actually begin by simply reading the whole book, because it's not that long. But I think we get the beauty of this story of, of this character Jonah and how God works there. And I, I believe hearing the words is valuable. So those of you who like audiobooks, you can pretend like I'm living out my uh, calling to be an audiobook reader. And, and you can listen, starting in Jonah 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found the ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we might know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea that the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, 
I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head as the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard the vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I, what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? The word of the Lord. I love hearing scripture. Not always from my voice, but I love hearing scripture. But this story, it's fascinating. When you look in the beginning, it begins with no intro. There's no setup. It just goes right into God's command to his prophet. And and what Jonah, it it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And Jonah, he's commanded to go to the city of Nineveh. 
And today, you would find the ruins of this great city um, on the edge of Mosul in Iraq, probably about 40 miles uh, east of Syria. And it, it was a great city, just large in scope and in splendor and in influence, but we also learned that it was a wicked city. And God pronounced his judgment upon Nineveh. But God, also in his mercy, he desires to give a warning to the people of Nineveh. So he tells his prophet Jonah, yo, go to the city and tell them judgment is coming. But if you turn, there might be mercy. But then we, we, we read Jonah's response in verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. And, and here's a rule of thumb in the Bible. It's never a good thing when God is given a command and then the next word is but. That's usually a sign that some bad stuff is about to happen. So Jonah, he's clearly heard what God said to do. There's no stuttering here. God did not stutter. God did not like give a pause. God said, you're to go to the city and tell them judgment's coming. But what does Jonah do? He, he goes about as far as he can in the other direction, literally. He takes what God has said. He's saying, what's the farthest thing I can do to get away from here? So if, if you would be going from where he is in northern Israel to Nineveh, you would have gone eastward. But when it says that he went to Joppa, it means that he went south and then west. And then in Joppa, he, he paid a fare to get on this boat. And, and as an ancient Hebrew, that's not something you would do only out of desperation. So, I mean, he's going as, as much as he can here. And to head for Tarshish, that's literally on the other end of the Mediterranean Sea in Spain. So in the known world at the time, this is about as far away as you can get from where God said to go at this time. Jonah clearly heard what God said to do, and he made an active decision not to obey. He, he was disobedient to God's command. And, and I think Jonah's, his actions here, it really gives us a vivid portrayal of the nature of sin. And depending on your church background, we have a lot of different definitions of sin. But I think here we see a very basic understanding. Sin is disobeying God. Sin, it, it's not doing what God says to do. And the story, it, it says that sin is found in all of us. So obviously, the people of Nineveh are described as sinful. They're described as wicked. They were disobedient to God's ways. But God's own prophet... God's man, God's uh, mouthpiece, Jonah, he is also disobedient. And it's striking when we consider how was Jonah disobedient here. Because he doesn't break any laws. I mean, he went against God, but he didn't break laws. And I, I think this is, um, I think it's good for us to consider here. Because he was traveling legally. He paid his fare. It's not like he hid in the boat as a stowaway. He did everything legally. And, and it's, it's good for us to recognize because sometimes I think Christians, we associate legal with moral or like illegal with immoral. And somehow if you're obeying laws, then you can't be a sinner. But what this shows us here is that you can be obeying the laws and totally be disobeying God. You can do what a good person looks like they're doing. I mean, Jonah wasn't breaking any laws, but he was fully disobeying God here. 
we can still be sinning just like Jonah was. And Jonah, his particular disobedience to God here, it's telling. So after chapter one, we see this whole story, Jonah's in the boat, and then they start having this chaos because God's trying to stop this, and God's giving signs. No one else in the boat has any clue. They just think they're hitting a bad storm. It's nuts. And you guys know the story, right? Jonah says, it's because of me. And he says, throw me over there. Like, no, we're not going to do that. Ultimately, they realize, okay, it's because of him. Let's throw him over. And then God sends this big fish. Big fish to take him in, and he's in there for three days and three nights, and Jonah gives out this desperate prayer. And I've never been in the belly of a fish, but I imagine the quantity and quality of my prayers would be epic if I were in the belly of a fish. That's what we see in chapter 2 in Jonah. He's just praying and proclaiming and talking about the God of salvation. And then we see God's grace in being vomited out. We don't think about that as grace. That's grace here. When you're in the belly of a fish, to be vomited out. That's grace right there. That's mercy. That's kindness. So Jonah's vomited out. And beginning of chapter 3, it's, it's really fascinating because it almost sounds like a carbon copy of the beginning of the book in chapter 1 where God again gives the a command saying, Jonah, go to this land called Nineveh and you're going to preach to them saying that judgment is coming. And this time Jonah obeys. I guess that whole deal with the fish did, did something on him. This time he obeys. And, and here's the fascinating thing, because I don't think Jonah thought it would play out like this. He thought, okay, 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 I'll go do my preaching thing. I'll go in, big city, I'll preach. And he lets out just like one line, say, okay, y'all need to repent. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. And, and he probably expected that they're not going to listen. What happens? The people are torn to the heart. They're convicted. They actually hear what he's saying. God's spirit is doing something within them. They're convicted, and they start fasting. They start putting aside, they they start mourning their sin. And ultimately what happens is this viral movement goes through the whole city to the point it comes to the king. And the king hears about this as well. And the king issues the decree saying, yo, we all need to keep liquid and food away from our mouths because we need to repent. And maybe God in his mercy, maybe he will hold back what we deserve here. And wouldn't you know it, God did. (laughs) God relented. God didn't give them the judgment that they deserve. And here's the thing. If any good writer was writing this, they would probably stop at the end of chapter 3, where it says that they they repented and then God relented, and say, isn't it amazing? This man Jonah didn't want to do what God did because he didn't have hope in it, but, you know, the fish ate him and stuff and vomited it out, and then he went... Look what God did. God did want to use him. Praise God. Everyone repented. I mean, I think that would be kind of a natural way to end the story. You know, all problems. It's not. Because we see in the beginning of chapter 4, it reveals why Jonah didn't want to go in the first place. Because we didn't really know up until this point. Maybe he, we thought he was scared. Or maybe, maybe he had different We didn't know. Now we know. He doesn't like these people. <laughs> He was ticked off that they repented. He was burned that that they received the favor and the mercy of God. And and Jonah, I, 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 I literally trembled as I was considering this. Because Jonah, he is such a frightening example of how just even a little bit of theology can be a really dangerous thing without love and compassion. He is a frightening example of you can know a lot about God. But if you don't have love in your heart, you are a dangerous weapon to people. Because Jonah's got a real good knowledge of who God is. 
probably better than any of us here. And you read it described in chapter four. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful. You're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Do you catch what he's saying? He's saying, because I knew you were like that, I didn't want these people to hear. I didn't want these fools to hear about you because I know that you're going to forgive them. Because he knew so much about God, he didn't want to share that. He knew that God is kind to sinners who deserve judgment and wrath, but he doesn't want these sinners in Nineveh to get that kind of love. He's resentful. I mean, he doesn't like these people, and he steamed that God would show his great kindness and love to the Ninevites. Jonah, it's a story of disobedience. I mean, it's disobedience very clearly in the beginning because he ran away. I mean, that's obvious to us. Um, But we realize there's deeper disobedience here because he eventually does go. Chapter 3, he does go. He does go and preach. I mean, in some sense, he appears very obedient. But what we realize, his resentful response, it reveals that Jonah was never really obeying God. Even though he was doing the work. Even though he physically went, even though he let his mouth talk, he was still not obeying God. He was still disobedient. And guys, this is extremely critical and key for us to grasp here today. What does it mean to obey God? What does it mean when we say, let's obey God? Uh, Matthew chapter 22, Jesus, he's asked by someone, yo, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Basically, this man is asking Jesus, what does it mean to obey God? And here's Jesus' reply, starting in verse 37. He says, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What does it mean to obey God? Love God and love others as you would love yourself. He starts to set the bar of what does it mean to obey God? He could have put a whole list of other rules, but he boiled it down. Love God, love others. But, but Jesus, he takes this concept of loving others to a whole nother level. And if you look at Luke 6, he teaches about love, starting verse 27. But I say to you who here love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And skip to 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And we we recognize that when God is talking about love, it's a whole nother level of love that doesn't even make sense. Because he's saying the love of God is not just loving those people that you find natural affinity with. The love of God is not those people that kind of make your guts tingle when you're around them. And we all have those kind of be right? It's easy to love them, right? They smile. You smile at them. They smile back. Jesus is talking about, yo, you're going to love the people who treat you like crud. That's the kind of love I'm talking about. Because the, the reality is, um, you don't need the love of God to love someone who loves you. And that's what it's saying here, right? It's saying, you know, even people without God, they can do that. But it takes a miraculous love of God to love those people who give you absolutely no reason to love them. That demonstrates obedience to God. And John, he writes further about this in his first letter here. In John, 1 John chapter 4, in verse 8, it says, 
Anyone who does not love God or who does not love does not know God because God is love. He continues the thought in verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is extremely convicting if you're one of those types you love to go to like worship services or conferences and you love to sing the Jesus love songs and you're like hands in the air jumping around. It's saying, yo, you can't be driving home and getting in a fight with the people you came with. It makes no sense. You can't say, I love God with all this and then you treat people like, like garbage. It, it, it doesn't make sense. How can you say you love this God that you haven't seen and, and you are not able to love the people who are right in front of your face? The scriptures, over and over and over again, it tells us that the litmus test, the gauge for whether we are truly a Christian, is our love for others. And Jonah, Jonah shows us that you can even obey on surface. You can do things that look religious. You can go through the motions even of looking like a good holy moly but you can still be disobedient to God if you are not marked by an act of love for others. And yo, this is convicting words for, um, I think, our Facebook culture, Twitter culture, where we talk a lot about loving God and then our words and our actions towards others. And we got like that Jesus cross on our profile pic and then our words are like, rah, 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 rah. he's saying this is incongruous. You can't do that. That doesn't work. There's something disconnected there. Because in this story, God, he was revealing an obvious wickedness in these Assyrian Ninevites. I mean, that's why he said you need to, you need to repent. I mean, there was wickedness there. We're not sugarcoating that. These were wicked people. But he was also revealing a more subtle wickedness in his own prophet Jonah. Jonah, just as much as the Ninevites, was also far from him. The thing is, he just didn't know it. He just didn't realize it. And the end of this book of Jonah, it's fascinating. Again, I would have stopped at the end of chapter 3 because I like happy endings. But chapter 4, it's kind of like a dark tale. It's like an HBO show, right? Like this, this, this like hole in the story. But it's fascinating. Because like Jonah's mad. He's mad and he goes to sulk, Right? He goes to sulk, and it's funny because it says he goes up to kind of watch the city. It's like he's got hope. Yeah, God said he's going to relent, but maybe he'll change his mind and just wipe them all out. So I'm just going to plant myself here and see if he does it. He's like sat down. He's like, I can imagine his face. I can't believe they love. And he's waiting. And and then God gives this plant to rise up. It's hot. Gives this plant to cover him. I, I, that's, I mean, fascinating thing, what that looked like, right? One plant in the middle of just, just covering, giving some shade, and Jonah's happy, and he's like, he's like, all right, life is good now. It's been a bad month, but I'm, I'm good now. And then a worm comes up, eats that Jonah up the next morning. It's gone. And Jonah's mad, and God even sends a wind then to make it hot. And maybe Jonah didn't have much hair to cover or something, but he's like hot and he's mad. It's like last week, 98 degrees. He's like hot. He's like angry. He's just upset about everything. He's mad about his plant being gone. And the Lord asked these questions that Tiffany read. You pitied a plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. 
And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Dad. <laughs> it's like Jonah's mad about this plant. And God said, wow, you really mad about that plant, huh? Man, that was a good plant, huh? Wow. Oh, man, you mad about it, huh? Yeah, I'm mad. You didn't even grow that thing. You didn't put no, like, miracle grow on that, and you didn't water it. I did the whole thing, and you're mad about it? Should I not have that much more pity on these people that I did make? As evil as you think they are, should not I have pity on them? And they're cattle, too, you animal lovers. He throws in the, the cows. Should I not have pity on them? Because by calling Jonah to go and preach to Nineveh, God was showing Jonah that his heart was far from God's. I I genuinely think in all this, obviously God wanted to do great work about the Ninevites, but I think he also wanted to do work in Jonah, right? Isn't that what ministry is? God wants to use us to bless others, but he's also working in us. I think that's what he was doing with Jonah. God is actually showing mercy by killing his little plant, by putting him in a fish, by bringing him here. God is showing mercy because he's trying to show him this is the condition of your heart. You think you're my prophet. You think you're obeying me. You think you're faithful. You think you're better than those Assyrian Ninevites. Your heart is far from me. You don't know love. And here's how I'm going to show you. And I got to give some commentary at this point. I got to confess. I don't know about you. Um, I kind of feel good when I read the stuff about Jonah because I don't feel like I'm that loving of a person sometimes, but I'm like, hey, I'm not Jonah though. Whoa, man, he loved this plant more than the people. Whoa, he was wishing they'd all die. Whoa, yeah, I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm not Billy Graham, but I'm not Jonah. I, 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 I get kind of critical of Jonah here when I'm reading this. What a miserable, God rescued him from this fish. God showed him grace. God was so kind to him, and this is how he responds? Man, what a punk. What what a loser. I admit it, I'm I'm judging. But as I meditate upon this, I had to pray that through Jonah, God would show me a picture of my own sin. As much as I want to judge Jonah, the reality is the story of Jonah is a reflection upon me and my heart. Because what God, in a way, was giving me was my own plant story. Because I get mad about certain stuff. I get perturbed about certain things. I get really perturbed when I pay money to Comcast every month and my internet speed's like nothing. I get mad about that. I get frustrated. I'm like, don't they know I have important stuff to do? Like watch Netflix. and I get, I get really mad about that. It's like a justice issue for me. I get really upset But it's as if I hear God saying, wow, you really love that internet, huh? You're really mad about that, huh? You're steamed about that, huh? Should not I also care about the soaring murder rate in our Baltimore city right now, where young, particularly young black men are killing each other at at a historic rate right now? And the conviction for me is, I really don't care all that much. I care a lot more about silly things like my internet speed or the service I get at a restaurant. Those become the things that anger me. 
And God uses these things to remind me, I'm not that far from Jonah, actually. Maybe it's not outright hate for people, but I don't really care as much as a follower of God is supposed to. Because as you see the life of Jonah and his his sin, can you see your own sin revealed? Um, And maybe you don't have outright resentment for people, or maybe you don't have enemies. Um, Maybe you do, and if that's, we can talk more if that's your issue. Um, But is there compassion in your heart for those who do not know God? Is there burning in your heart for those in our city and throughout the world who you know do not have a relation with God and if you believe what the Bible says are are walking towards judgment? Does your heart yearn and, and burn as much as if an order has not come in for your business? If deadlines have not been met? If your kids have not cleaned their room, does your heart burn in the same way for those who are far from God, separated him from sin? Does your heart move in the same way? The purpose of these things is to show us we are much more like Jonah than we are like God. And I want to I say this. One thing I love deeply about our church, and if you're newer here, maybe you haven't experienced this as much, one thing I love about our church is the genuine care we, I think I see what people have for one another. That, that encourages me. That's a really good thing. But guys, we can never let church just be compassion that stays within our little communities. That, those are holy huddles. We need the people that love one another deeply. I would say let's love each one another even more, but it's always for the purpose of that spilling out to those who don't know the love of God so that they might experience the compassion of God, the mercy that we show to those whom we love. And maybe they're strangers to us, but God's purpose always is to love us and bless us so that we can love and bless others. The people of God are never meant to just stay within ourselves. Guys, God loves you, probably much more than you realize. God loves you because he loves you. He wants you to become more and more like him increasingly in this life. And like Jonah, God calls us to go. He calls us to love those who are very different than us. So from some of us, maybe what that means, again, maybe if you have enemies, if you got like a blacklist of people out there, very practical, pray for them. Maybe God is calling. But maybe it's more subtle. Maybe you don't hate anyone. But maybe uh, God is calling you to get involved in something like a VBS. And I I just got to explain really quickly our philosophy on Vacation Bible School. Because if you're from church, you might have a different one. This is not like glorified daycare for our children of the village. Because that would not motivate me. I'm not going to put money or... VBS for us, a majority of the children who come are from our neighborhood, from our city. And this is an opportunity for us to be able to show the love of God, maybe to some who don't go to church, who don't know Jesus, who are not from Christian families. So this is uh, an issue of mission. So I want to challenge you, if you're not involved in VBS, um, have a really good reason you're not. Don't let it be, I hate kids. That might feel real. But let it be, you know what? Maybe this is an opportunity for a child who has never heard about God before to hear about God. And how can I play a part in that? Or or maybe it's like what we're talking about, the discussion tomorrow night. Um, I mentioned I was just at a meeting last week uh, with different leaders in the city and with Chief Melvin Russell talking about the skyrocketing murder rate. And the reality, he showed a big map of Baltimore. And our neighborhood, 
actually did not have that many dots on there. I think at the time of the meeting, it was about 166 murders in our city this year. Historic record rate. But God continued to remind me, yo, you can't be part of this city and, and love the gentrification in Baltimore and love all the cool new hip restaurants and love all the opportunities for art and culture and just kind of ignore the rest of the stuff. You live in this city, you take the whole city. So yeah, the reality for us, walking while black, issues of justice, maybe it doesn't feel particularly relevant to every single one of you. Some of us, it really does. But even if it doesn't, maybe the call for us to say, how do I be involved in these conversations? What steps can I take? How can I be informed? How can I learn? Tomorrow night, we're just talking about very practical ways to get involved in serving the city. Maybe that's a step for some of us. And maybe for others of us, maybe it's considering things like this new church plant. Our vision is to send out a team to start a new multi-ethnic church in another part of the city because we believe in a divided, fractured city. One of the most powerful ways we can display the power of God is people who have no other reason to be sitting in a room together saying, why are we here? It's not drugs because that's the other reason you get a really diverse group together. It's Jesus. And you need to know his power. You need to know his reconciling ability. And we want more and more people who do not know God to hear about God. So maybe it's coming out to one of these informational meetings and finding out more. Whatever it is, I hope today you feel compelled. I I, I need to take steps to reach out. I need to take steps to love those who might be different than me. I need to be like Jonah and go. He was sent into the city. But here's what I'm going to tell you guys. As you do that, if you do it correctly, as you seek to be a messenger of God, as you seek to love others, as you seek to go, um, you're going to recognize if you do it correctly, you actually have much more in common with Jonah than you do with God. And you're going to find yourself wanting to run like Jonah did. When you hit hardships, when you hit difficulty, when life is stressful, when you say, I don't have time for that, man, I just got to balance my own life. When you hit times like that, you're going to want to run just like Jonah At those times, it's good because you fall flat on your face and you're pointed to the one who didn't run. His name is Jesus. You're pointed to the one that, unlike Jonah, he didn't run and he was faithful and he went into the city. And he took upon faithfulness. He took upon death. And he preached and he loved. And that's how we get transformed in Christ, guys. We continue to come with what he's commanded us to do. And we realize that ultimately it's what Jesus has done for us. It's described in that one verse I love from Romans chapter 5 verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. What this says is that Jesus was so radical that he gave his life He went to those who were his enemies so that he could make us friends of God. Not through any good works of our own, not through anything we earn, but through his work. On this thing called a cross where he gave his life and paid the price for you and me. And this is how we continue to experience Jesus. So let me ask you to stand with me right now. And I want to ask you to pray. Pray with me right now. You can close your eyes for a moment. And before we have a time where before we sing, before we pray, let me ask you to consider right now, are there people for whom you have a 
let's, let's call it unloving heart? Are there groups of people where your compassion has been running low? Or maybe it's not that, but maybe your just compassion in general for people has not been there. Can I ask you, instead of trying to just be more compassionate, may you come to Christ this day. May you remember the one who was obedient, who was faithful, who did preach, who did go and do what he was supposed to do. And that's what we remember when we come to the table. If you're a Christian, I would invite you to come up and receive and take a piece of the wafer, dip it in a cup. Remember the one who was faithful, who remember the one who did what he was supposed to do, unlike Jonah. Remember the one who was always obedient. But I also want to invite some of you, if you're not a Christian, and what I mean by that is not that you've not been in church before. Maybe you've been in church your whole life, but you do not live for God. You don't know God. Let's be honest. You don't know God. You don't understand that he forgives your sins. He wants to make you new. If that's you, I want to invite you to hear the message clearly. God will judge every single one of us. I know that's not politically correct to say, but God will judge every single one of us. But the amazing, merciful, wonderful, beautiful, uh, tremendous good news is that there is someone who took our place in punishment so that we don't have to. Receive that good news. Receive that message. Receive Jesus. Say, Jesus, I am a sinner. Thank God that you love sinners. And follow Jesus today. And maybe come receive communion. It can be your first communion as a follower of Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord. Help us. Help us, God. And the story, I guess it could be, in some sense, looking at someone who lived a bad life and didn't do what he was supposed to do and kind of feeling good about herself, but would you give us some greater insight than that? And there would be a sober reflection of our own hearts, Lord. How have we held back compassion for others? How have we held back our gifts? How have we held back our love? How have we held back our time? How have we held back our friendships? How have we held back our relationships? And Lord, perhaps you're challenging us that you call us to a greater love, to love not just those who we have in common with, but those maybe we have absolutely nothing in common with for the sake of you. So help us, Lord, as we reflect on that.